The following audio is from Missio Day Church in Asheville, North Carolina. We exist for maturing and multiplying disciples in Asheville and beyond for the glory of God. For more resources from Missio Day or to partner with us on mission, visit mdcavl.org. All right, let's do it. Acts chapter 1. Open your Bibles, please, to Acts chapter 1. I love preaching through books of the Bible, and as a church, we love studying through books of the Bible, and the reason is because it helps us to learn the actual Bible, (laughs) to learn the text in its context, historically, politically, religiously, all that stuff, so that we really understand the heart of Jesus and who he really, really is. And so uh, we're starting the book of Acts today. It's, it's It's a big boy. It's 28 chapters and it's going to take us a while to get through this. So what we're going to do is, is break it into chunks. Uh, Acts kind of naturally breaks up into chunks. So we're going to, we're going to do the first around seven or so chapters uh, from now through the summer. And then in the fall, we'll probably take a break. We'll do something else. And then we'll come back to Acts maybe first part of next year or next spring. And so we're, it's just going to be a couple-year journey for us going through the entire book of Acts. But I, I really pray that it's helpful for you. Leading up to Easter... We did a series where we were looking at what it's, what it's like to experience, what it looks like to experience the presence and the power of God in our lives. The book of Acts really is what it looks like when the presence of power of God is, is unleashed through our lives. And it's kind of like a biography of the church, like how we got to now. You realize that every single one of you who are in this room or watching online, who are connected to Missio Dei Church, and, or any church, you are connected to the church. Whether you're a, a full-on believer or you've got questions about Jesus, you're, you're connected to this thing because of what we're going to read about that happened 2,000 years ago. This is a, a, a historical account of what really happened to real people at a real time in history, uh, and, and we're part of that. So there's two ways to read the book of Acts. There's a right way and a wrong way, and I'm going to advocate that we read it the right way, okay? Uh, uh, Here are the two ways you can read it. Uh, I'll put it in in, uh, sports context. If you are a sports fan, you may watch, you may be flipping channels, and there's like ESPN Classic, or maybe you've DVR'd a game, and you're re-watching it. And you already know what happens, but you're watching it again because you're a fan, and you love seeing that magical play, right, The, the buzzer beater or whatever, And that's one way that you could read the book of Acts as an observer. This is what happened. Oh, that's pretty cool. Look at that. But there's another way that you can watch or read. Uh, An athlete, a player, is going to watch that game film, but what are they doing? They're studying it. They're studying it. What can I learn from this? How can I apply uh, the the mistakes made or the advances made into my own game so that I can participate? And that's the way we need to read the book of Acts. Acts. The story continues, brothers and sisters. There's an abrupt ending, as we'll see in a couple years, in Acts chapter 28. And and it's there for a reason, because the story's not over. The story continues. So I want us to read this book as if we are a player in the game, watching game film, learning from those who've gone before us so that we can jump into the game and, and continue accomplishing the mission of God. Amen? All right. Two of you are with me. That's awesome. Okay. So let me start. We're going to start in verse 1, chapter 1, verse 1, and uh, I'm going to read the first 11 verses for us, and we'll dive in here. Acts chapter 1, verse 1. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and to teach 
until the day that he was taken up after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after suffering many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, it is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven, as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. This is God's word. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Father, how good it is to be with brothers and sisters this morning, gathered in this room together, gathered with those who are online, worshiping the risen Christ. We are grateful that you are alive and that our hope is alive. We are grateful for the indwelling presence of your Holy Spirit to those who have surrendered to Jesus. We are grateful for the body of Christ, of which we are an integral part. And so, Lord, today as we open and study the book of Acts, I do pray that you would help us to, to hear and see you at work and realize this is not just something you did but something you are doing. The movement of Christianity continues. The, the kingdom of God continues to come on earth as it is in heaven. And you have called us to be an active participant in that by your spirit through your word. So help us to, to be engaged in that and to be commissioned into that for your glory and for our good. Meet us here now, we pray in the beautiful name of Jesus. And everybody said, amen. All right, let me give you just a little bit of context and background before we jump into uh, uh, the points that I have. Uh, out of these first three verses, we'll see, it's called, okay, he calls it the Acts, uh, the book of Acts. That's what it's titled, right? Which is, which is really short for the Acts of the Apostles. The apostle meaning sent one. Apostles were those whom Jesus called to himself, who Jesus sent. And they were eyewitnesses to the resurrected Jesus, those were apostles. It was an office or a, a title uh, of the day. They were the leaders of the early church. And so this is a recording, a historical biography of uh, what happened through these apostles. Now, it's written by Luke, who was not an apostle. In fact, he wasn't even an eyewitness to the resurrected Christ. Uh, but, but he writes the book of the gospel according to who? Luke. Good, you're following. And he writes the book of Acts. It's a two-volume biography, okay? Luke was a physician, he was a man of great intellect and, 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 and an analyzer. And like, a, like an investigative journalist, Luke goes and interviews the eyewitnesses who were still living at this time about what they saw and what they heard, and he wrote it all down. He ended up being a traveling companion of the Apostle Paul. You'll see later in the book of Acts that he'll switch uh, from they to we. 
and then back to they, and then back to we. And you're like, what's going on here? It's because Luke was actually with them when they experienced some of those things, but he wasn't there for all of it. But he did hard work of actually writing down what eyewitnesses saw and heard. He writes it, as you see here in verse 1, to Theophilus. Luke is also addressed to Theophilus, uh, and he uses a, a title there in the, in the Gospel of Luke that helps us to see that, that Theophilus, which means either lover of God or beloved of God, Theophilus was, was probably a wealthy man, possibly even a, a high official, perhaps in Roman government, and uh, he had become a believer. And he, because he had wealth, financed Luke's writing project. He was able to be the one to finance Luke traveling to interview all these witnesses and compile this bio biographical account. I love here in, in uh, verse 1, he says this, uh, to, oh, in the first book, O Theophilus, I've dealt with all that Jesus began to do and to teach, implying that in the book of Acts, he's going to tell us about what Jesus continues to do and to teach, which makes Jesus stand out among all other religious teachers because all other religious teachers did some stuff and then died. But see, Jesus did some stuff, died, rose again, and keeps doing stuff. Jesus is still doing. He's still teaching because he's still alive, and he's at work right now in and through his people, the church. I don't know if you noticed this, but in every single one of the 11 verses that we just read, the name of Jesus is mentioned. It's all about Jesus. Jesus is the one who came, and he healed the sick. And he cast out demons, and he raised the dead, and he cleansed the lepers, and he commanded nature, and he fed thousands of people with a little boy's lunchable, and he preached with an authority like no one had ever seen before, and he was tempted in every way that we're tempted but without sin. And he went to the cross and he died as a substitute for us, for all of our sin and shame and guilt, and he really died and he was really buried and on the third day, Jesus rose from the grave and he returned that tomb like a rented prom tux. And even now, Jesus calls us to repentance and to faith in him. He promises forgiveness of sins, restoration and real, true life to anyone who would surrender their lives to him. And he empowers his people by his spirit with his word to fulfill his mission for his glory. That's really what the book of Acts ought to be titled. The Acts of Jesus by his spirit, with his word, fulfilling his mission through his people for his glory. But that's a little bit long of a title, and so we call it the book of Acts. <laughs> so I want to point three things out to you this morning, very briefly, out of this passage. And, and we'll start in verse 4 here. If you're a note taker, my first point is the presence of God. The presence of God. Look at verse 4. While staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So Jesus rises from the dead. Everyone's excited, right? What are we going to do now? Where are we going to go? Let's get this go thing going. Let's, like, let's reach the world, you know? And Jesus says the first step towards reaching the world is to stay in Jerusalem and wait. What? <laughs> we want to get this thing going. Now, this was not good news 
to the disciples for a couple of reasons. Number one, Jerusalem was not their home. Most of them were Galilean, which is a three-day journey about 100 miles north of Jerusalem. If you remember in the gospel accounts, uh, Peter, for instance, went home. He went back to Galilee after the resurrection. You remember Jesus showing up when they're fishing in John 21? And he's like, hey, put your net on the other side. And he's like, oh, jeez, who's this guy? And he puts it over the other side and he catches all these fish, 153 of them to be exact. And the boat starts sinking. And he's like, wait, this sounds familiar, you know? And he looks and he thinks that it's Jesus on the shore and he swims to shore. And sure enough, Jesus is cooking him breakfast. That happened at the Sea of Galilee. In Matthew 28, Jesus called him to the mountain and he said, hey, I'm going to give you the great commission, right? All authority on heaven and earth has been given to me. That happened likely in Galilee. But at some point during this 40 days where Jesus was, was uh, appearing, even to more than 500, he tells them, go back to Jerusalem and stay put, stay there. Now, it's also not good news because Jerusalem is the place where Jesus was arrested and tried and convicted and beaten and mocked and shamed and crucified and buried. And if the religious leaders and the Roman officials who are trying to stamp out this new movement called Christianity, uh, if, if they're after people, they're after them, these apostles, these disciples. So if I'm, a, if I'm an apostle and, and I'm, I got my, you know, my phone out looking for what we're planning tomorrow, I'm like, I have an idea. Let's leave. Let's get out of here, okay? Uh, let's go somewhere else where the pressure is not on us. But Jesus says, no, 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 I want you to stay here. And there's a very important reason why. The only reason that they were in the temple or in the in Jerusalem was to celebrate the Passover. And they had to be in Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover because that's where the temple was. Now you may know if you've read the Bible that uh, God's presence was manifested in several different ways throughout the Old Testament. He appeared to them as a pillar of fire and a pillar of smoke as the people were wandering through the desert on their way to the promised land. Later, uh, they built a tabernacle, and God's presence dwelt in the Ark of the Covenant that was in the tabernacle. Well, after King David, he had the idea to build the temple, a permanent dwelling place for God, and so they built Solomon. Actually, his son ended up building the temple in Jerusalem, and the Ark of the Covenant was there, and that's where God's presence on earth was said to dwell, was in the temple. Now, the temple had a bunch of different courts, right? So there was the court of the Gentiles, the court of the women, the court of the men, the court of the priests. Then inside that was the holy place. And then there was this huge curtain, 60 feet high, four inches thick. Like those are some expensive window treatments, right? Big curtain separating the holy, uh, the, the holy place from the holy of holies. And that's where the ark was. And that's where God, God's presence was. And the curtain was there to... to symbolize the fact that there is separation between God and man. Except Luke's gospel tells us, Luke chapter 23, that when Jesus died on the cross, that that curtain, 60 feet high, four inches thick, was torn from top to bottom. <laughs> That's really significant. It was torn from heaven to earth because God was saying there's a new way to have access to the presence of God. Now, from this point forward, for anyone, and I mean anyone, who would surrender themselves to Jesus and put their hope and trust in the finished work of Christ, they now have access to the presence of God. And what's more than that, in a couple weeks, we'll see this in Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit falls on the disciples as they're gathered in this upper room and on the day of Pentecost. And what that signifies is that the presence of God is no longer confined to a temple, but that from that point forward, 
any believer in Christ is a temple of the Holy Spirit of God, that he lives inside of you, that he dwells in you, that he takes up residence in your soul in some mysterious way that we do not understand. You are sealed and indwelt by the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead. You also to amen to that. I don't know if you're listening. Let me try it one more time. You are empowered with, sealed by, indwelled by the same Holy Spirit of God that raised Jesus Christ from the dead. Amen. Amen. That's incredible. Like, I don't know, I, I think some of you are just like, hmm, interesting. Like, that's incredible. So what we'll see in the book of Acts, and this is really important as we, as we lay a foundation for what's to come, what we see in the book of Acts is not rock star leaders who are flexing and proving their amazingness as they lead the early church forward. Don't idealize the book of Acts. You're going to see a lot of stumbling and tripping and like, whew, smack your forehead moments, okay? What we do see in the book of Acts is everyday people like you and me staking their future on Jesus and his amazingness, believing that he is with them and he's with us. The mission of God cannot be accomplished without the presence of God. But God is here. He's not just here, he's here. I wonder if you believe that. Like, do you really believe? Do you live with a daily awareness of the presence of God in your life? That he is just as present to you on a Thursday when you're tempted to, I don't know, smack your kid or look at something you shouldn't, as he is right now in this room when you have your Bible open. He is present with you. He is here. He is here. He is here. So the presence of God. Secondly, I want you to see the power of God. Let me get a sip of water and let's look at verse 6. You guys hanging with me? Verse 6, so when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, it is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. The power of God. The disciples are a little confused. They're thinking, okay, maybe Jesus has us staying in Jerusalem because this is the time he's going to overthrow Rome and he's going to reestablish the people of Israel as their own nation state. That's what they longed for. That's what they hoped for. That's a false belief in what they thought the Messiah was going to do. And so he's like, stay here in Jerusalem, wait for the Spirit. And like, okay, are you doing it now? Are you going to restore the kingdom to Israel? We see just how easy it is, brothers and sisters, to equate God's blessing with political power. Jesus says, guys, wrong mission, wrong kingdom. My vision is bigger than one restored nation state. My vision is global. My vision is that the kingdom of heaven comes to earth. And this is a vision and this is a mission so big that you are going to need a power that does not belong to you in order to accomplish it. How many of you know that when the demands on you exceed the power in you, that's when you want to tap out, that's when you burn out? Yeah? 
when the demands on you exceed the resources and the power in you, that's when things blow up. You think just, there are so many challenges. I'm up against so much stuff that unless there is a power source outside of me, I'm done. I can't do this. Well, I have good news. Jesus' life and power are not just for us to examine, but to experience. <laughs> Jesus' power is not just for us to examine as a historical thing. We look at it and observe it. No, it's for us to experience. Now, anyone in the room who's coming from a charismatic background is like, this is it. This is our moment. I packed my praise banner. Let's do this. And then others of you are getting a little bit of a nervous twitch right now. All right? So let me just... Let me take a theological time out for a second. We believe in one God who eternally exists in three persons, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Each person is fully God, yet there's one God. We don't understand it, but we believe it. That's what the Bible teaches. Jesus, the second person of the Trinity, was manifest. He came and took on human flesh and blood, lived a perfect life, died in our place, uh, uh, rose from the grave, and he said, it's better that I go away because I'll send the Spirit there's my charismatic. So, <laughs> just kidding. Uh, or maybe not. I don't know. Now, here's what's, here's what's really uh, interesting. If you'll read the Gospel of Luke, here's what you'll find. Jesus, though he was fully God, was also fully man. And he accomplished what he accomplished in the Gospel of Luke, not simply because he was God. So, there are times when he exercises his his divine power and authority, and he speaks to the water and the waves, and he heals and those kind of things. There are other times, like when he's tempted by the enemy and he resists temptation, that his resistance is not because he's God, but because he relied on the power of the Holy Spirit. He shows us what it is to be human, to be perfectly human, and to at all times rely on the power of God's Spirit within him. And he's a modeling for us that if we too will rely on the power of the Spirit, we can do what he did. I'm not talking about the, the miracles and the kinds of the, the, the divine. I'm talking about living humanly. So again, Romans 8 says, the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. And Holy Spirit power never runs low. The Holy Spirit is an expert at showing up when you are in over your head. He is, the Bible says, an ever-present help in times of trouble. He strengthens us in our weaknesses. He intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. He leads us to all truth. The Holy Spirit is our counselor and our comforter and our convictor of sin and our character shaper, producing in us the fruit of the Spirit, which are what? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, yeah, faithfulness, and self-control. So if, you, if you've seen growth in your life, in love, or joy, or peace, or patience, or kindness, or gentleness, or faithfulness, self-control, that is the fruit of God's Spirit at work in your soul. It's the power of God unleashed in your life. Now, the Holy Spirit is promised to everyone who calls on the name of Jesus, who surrenders their lives to the Lordship of Jesus. But if we're honest, and I know we're in church, but we can be honest for a minute, there's a whole lot of us that don't experience the power of the Holy Spirit. Why is that? We feel powerless. 
We feel powerless to fight against our sin. We feel powerless to resist temptation. We feel powerless to grow into Christ-likeness, powerless to endure hardship and suffering. We feel powerless to lead our families well, powerless to be a witness and to share our faith with others. Why do we feel powerless? I believe it's, it's two reasons. One, we don't ask for the power of the Spirit, and two, we don't expect it. We don't ask for it, we don't expect it. In Galatians 5, in that same passage where Paul is talking about the fruit of the Spirit, he says this in verse 16, very interesting. He says, since we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit, which tells me something. We can live by the Spirit, which all Christians do, but we cannot always walk by the Spirit. In other words, it's possible to possess the presence of the, God, of the Spirit of God in our lives, but not experience His power. So if the presence of God is with us, if the power of God is is with us, then let's not ignore him. Ask for his help. Like, I've been a Christian since I was, I don't know, 15 or 16 years old. I'm 40 now. So whatever the math is on that, it's a while. Uh, and, and I feel like I'm just now starting to get to the point in my life where I, I get it. I understand what it means to ask the Spirit for help and to rely on the Spirit. And you don't know this, but uh, every Sunday as I'm preparing to preach, my prayer is that the Holy Spirit of God would show up, that he would convict of sin, that he would bring people from death to life, that he would encourage you. That's, I can't do that. Like, apart from the Spirit of God, I am at best a motivational speaker. I might as well be called Tony Robbins. Like, that's all I can do. <laughs> We're not related, by the way. So... But it takes the Spirit of God to bring any change through the preaching of His Word. And I plead with the Holy Spirit to empower me so that you see Jesus and you cling to Him. And man, there's times, like, there was one time I was, we were preaching through the Gospel of Mark, and I, I used a phrase that wasn't in my notes, right? And I used this one word, periphery. And, uh, and I said, some of you kind of on the periphery, kind of looking at, you know, Jesus and whether you should believe. And little did I know, there was a guy in the room who was there for the first time, and he used to be in a band called The Periphery. And that got his attention. And he gave his life to Jesus that day. Not because of that, because the Holy Spirit brought him from death to life. But it's that kind of stuff. I, I don't know who the guy is. So what does it look like for you to ask the Spirit for help? Holy Spirit, I hate my job. I want to punch my boss in the mouth, but I don't want to do jail ministry from the inside. <laughs> so help me. Holy Spirit, I, I'm lonely. I need friends. I got no one to talk to. Holy Spirit, my marriage is falling apart, and I love her or him dearly, but I, I just don't know what else to do, and I need you to show up and intervene. Holy Spirit, I really do not like my kids. And I wish someone else would take them, but nobody will because they don't like them either. And I need your help, Holy Spirit, to love my kids as you would have me love them. Holy Spirit, I need help to face this temptation because of what I really want to do right now is click that button and give into it, but I know you don't want that for me. Holy Spirit, I, I, I have a friend, a neighbor, a coworker who desperately needs Jesus, and I want to share the gospel with them, but I'm totally afraid, and I need courage to open my mouth and speak Jesus to them. 
What does it look like to regularly ask for and expect power from God's Spirit in your life? Now listen, the end game of this is not just that you would become a better you. The end game for the power of the Spirit is the purposes of God. We're going to see that next. The purpose of of God. That's my last point. Verse 8. Let's look at it one more time. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven, as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? I love that line. It's like they're just looking up like a kid who's lost his balloon, you know? <laughs> like, maybe we should have tied a string to him. And uh, this Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way you saw him go into heaven. He will come again to make all things new. Power from the Holy Spirit is for mission. He says right here, you will receive power and you will be my witnesses. 39 times in the book of Acts, Luke mentions will be witnesses to the resurrected Christ. So hear me, this is for all believers. This is not just for professional Christians like me. This is not just for leaders or like, you know, Navy SEAL level disciples, this is for everyone. You will all be my witnesses. But I want you to notice something. You can't really see it in the English. But when he says here, you will receive power and you will be my witnesses, the verb here in the original language is passive, which means this. It's not as much a command as it is a reality. Now, of course, Jesus in Matthew 28 says, go. Now, that's a command, okay? All power has been given to me, all authority. I say go and make disciples of all nations. That is a command. But here in Acts, what he's saying is, it's just a natural outflow of the fact that the Spirit is in you, that the power is in you. You will be witnesses. It's just going to happen. You will get power and you will be witnesses. Now, I have this sense that for some of us who've grown up in evangelicalism, there is a, a bit of guilt when it comes to being witnesses for Christ, uh, I grew up in a tradition that would go out witnessing, right? Uh, door knocking, visitation, Wednesday nights. I'm not necessarily against that. I just know you're more likely to get shot than have someone saved these days. People don't want you knocking on their door, okay? Um, and so there's this pressure. Man, I got to share my faith. I got to share it more. I got to share it with, you know, more people or share it again. And, and this is not what Jesus intends here is to pressure you or burden you with having to share your faith. Now, on one hand, there should be an urgency to this thing, right? Jesus really is the only way to the Father. He really is the way and the truth and the life. And no man comes to the Father except by him. He is the only way to salvation. And hell is hot and forever is a long time. And so there should be an urgency to sing brothers and sisters that we love come to faith in Jesus and to do everything we can to share that with him. But on the other hand, what is a witness after all? Somebody who saw. Somebody who just tells you what they saw and heard. Like I was on jury duty one time, and uh, somehow I got to be the foreman of the jury, 
And, uh, and so we're in the jury box, and there's a, a guy. I'm, I don't want to point at people because I'm not saying anyone's guilty. But it was, he was a thief, right? He was accused of, of stealing, uh, breaking and entering. And so they had a witness on the stand, and they say, what did you see? And he says, I saw that guy <laughs> break into that house and steal stuff. Uh, how do you know? Well, he's got some pretty significant tattoos that are hard to miss, right? And it's like he was an eyewitness. He saw it. He heard it. And it was his testimony in part that convicted this guy. Now, all of us bear witness to things all the time. For some of you, you're really evangelistic about, you know, Netflix shows or music. Oh, have you listened to that album yet? You got to listen to it. It's so good. You know that I've been preaching Ava's Donuts to you for a long time, and I finally brought them to you last Sunday so that you could taste and see that the Lord is good <laughs> through Ava's Donuts, the common grace. It's not, but is there pressure? Was I like, oh, I got to get this Ava's pitch just right, you know? Did you, do you feel like I have to convince someone I got to tell them about this restaurant and I'm just nervous because I think they're going to go, I don't believe in your restaurant. Like, we don't, we don't do that, right? Why? Because it's not pressure because we're just speaking of things that we love and things that have meant a lot to us and things that have affected us that we've seen, that we've heard, that we've tasted, and we just share it. That's all he intends here. So I want us to get really good as a church I'm not against evangelistic programs. I'm not against training. You can learn a lot of good things, but you know what's really powerful? Just learning how to tell your story. Just learning how to say to someone, you know, I didn't used to believe in Jesus or I grew up in church, but I was, I was religious, but not really Christian. And one day I met him and, he, and he's changed me and he's changing me. You don't have to be a finished work. You're all a work in progress. I'm telling you. Uh, Here's what he's done in my life. Here's the hope he's given me. Here's the peace he's given me. Here's the fruit of the Spirit in my life. Here's what Jesus has done for me. It's just your story. No one can argue against your story because it's your story. So I want us to get really good at just telling people what Jesus has done for us. And, and I believe that that coupled with earnest prayer for the presence and the power of God at work through us will lead to people coming to Christ. Maybe even more than my preaching will do probably even more than my preaching will do. He doesn't say, when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you will be super evangelists. He doesn't say, when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you will be scholarly apologists for the faith, though those things might happen. He doesn't even say, when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you're going to become an extrovert and be outgoing. God created you. God gave you the personality that you have. He gave you the wiring. He gave you the interest. He gave you what he gave you for a reason. And he wants to use you with your wiring and giftings and personality in the spheres of influence you have to bear witness to the resurrection of Christ. Imagine for a minute if God would choose to use you to share your story that leads someone else to Jesus. How awesome would that be? But even greater than our individual witness is our collective witness as the people of God, the church. And Acts is going to show us 
the people of God maturing in their faith, in their understanding of who Jesus really is and all that he's done, and then multiplying by starting new churches. That's primarily what we're going to see in the book of Acts. If you remove church planting from the book of Acts, you might as well not have a book of Acts. Now, we are, some of you might not know this, we are a church planting church, okay? We're, we're actually part of a church planting network called Acts 29, which is called Acts 29 because the book of Acts ends in chapter 28, and the idea is the story continues, okay? We have a vision here at Missio Day to help plant a church in every one of the 22 counties that make up the 828 area code called Western North Carolina, called the 828 area code, right? So that, that's our little vision is to, is to help see churches planted. And by God's grace, I think we're on number five or six, okay? So God's doing stuff. He's at work. Next week, actually, we're doing something called Church Planting Sunday. And you're going to get to see and, and hear from uh, on video some of our church planters. I got some pictures of church plants that are happening in Tanzania through the work of this church. Now, God is at work to the ends of the earth through us, and you probably don't even know it. It's amazing. So we're going to talk a little bit more about what God is up to and, and how churches get planted and, and all that kind of thing, but that's a massive part of who we are as a, as a congregation, right? Not that we're trying to replicate Missio Day all over Western North Carolina. I don't, I don't want that. I don't care about that. What I care about is the kingdom of God reaching to all these little towns and cities that are outside of Asheville because they need the gospel just as much, if not more, than, than Asheville does. Now, Christianity is, after all, everyday people, worshiping Jesus together as a family on mission. And, and if you hang around here long enough, you'll hear that phrase, everyday people worshiping Jesus as a family on mission. Those are our values. That's, that's, that's who we are uh, as a church. Worship. Jesus befriends lonely, brokenhearted people. He comforts them. He rescues sinners from sin and death and brings them to himself. Family. He calls all of the, this, you know, all of us misfit toys together as a family who are bound by the blood of Jesus, which is thicker and stronger than even our own blood families. We're not like a family. We are a family, and we are on mission because Jesus doesn't let us stay selfish. He says, as the Father sent me, so I send you. Now listen, we bear witness together of the resurrection of Christ in a number of ways. By reorienting our priorities around worshiping Jesus. That means coming to church, being part of the church family, or making it a priority to watch if we can't be here. To, to gather in communities, right? Uh, as a family, to serve one another and to serve our city. To to. to gather on mission to bless those around us, to devote our time and our gifts and abilities and even our treasure to give financially towards the, the mission of God. There's a whole bunch of Theophiluses in here who all play a part with our pocketbooks of advancing the mission of God. This is what we're called to as the people of God. And listen, we're not good at it. I mean, especially the giving part, but a lot of the other things, we're not good at it. I'm just kidding. And neither were they. But when the power of God is unleashed through imperfect people, it reaches to the ends of the earth. So if we have the Spirit of God, just like these angels asking the disciples, why are you standing here? What on earth are we waiting for? 
We are commissioned for Jesus with his presence, with his power, for his purposes. Now, so we wrap up today. I got three questions I want to throw up on the screen for you. You can take a picture of the screen if you need to. You can write these down, but I would encourage you to take these questions with you and either bring them uh, to community group or if you're going out to breakfast or lunch or whatever or brunch, some of you fancy people do, uh, you, you can just chat about these a little bit. First question is this. Am I living with a daily awareness of the presence of God in my life? If the answer is no, it could be that you haven't yet surrendered your life to the Lordship of Jesus. And if that's true, I'd love to talk to you about that. I'd love to help you cross that threshold from unbelief to belief, from death to life, and to meet Jesus today and be guaranteed that his presence is always with you wherever you go. So if that's you, please come find me. Let's talk. If you're watching online and you know you don't have a daily awareness of the presence of God because you don't believe, email us. Let us know. Some of us, it's just because we're neglectful, because we forget, because we get too focused on ourselves and our stuff going on, and, and we kind of tune out the presence of God, but he is there. Where do you see him? Second, where do I need to experience the power of God's spirit right now? That's what it should say. We missed all the rest of that. Where do I need to experience the power of God's spirit right now? So again, some of you are brokenhearted or under a lot of stress, and you need the power of God to, to carry you through. Some of you, it's because I, there's someone in my life that needs to know Jesus, and I, I'm just as scared, I'm scared to share it with them. I need God's power to show up. Some of you, uh, it's resistance to temptation and sin. I need God's power to show up so that I cannot step into that because I know that it's not what God wants. I don't know what it is for you. And then last... How might God want to use me to bear witness to the resurrected Christ for his purposes? What role would he have me play? How might God want to use me to bear witness to the resurrected Christ for his purposes? What role might I play in the kingdom of God expanding? Some of you in this room, some of you watching, you might be a church planner one day and you don't even know it. Some of you might just serve in kids' ministry. And that's amazing. Some of you might welcome people at the door. Some of you might lead a Bible study or a small group. Like, there's tons of ways to do that. Some of you might have a whole lot of money and just want to give it to the kingdom of God, and I will take that. So how might, not me, the church, how might God want to use me to bear witness to the resurrected Christ for his purposes? So I'm going to pray for you. I know it went a little long here, but uh, we don't have a second service, so that's what you get. I'll pray, and... Uh, and we'll respond through song. Father, uh, we thank you for your word, which is timeless and speaks to us even today. We thank you for the opportunity to hear from you. We thank you for the promise of the Holy Spirit, his presence in our lives daily, his power available to us at every moment. And I pray that we, as the people of God who have surrendered to the Lordship of Jesus, would ask for it and expect it, that you would use us uh, to see people meet Jesus, to see marriages healed, lives saved, mission accomplished, new works started in our area, to see brokenness and darkness pushed back so that uh, the, the city of Asheville starts to look a little bit more like the kingdom of God. 
but starts with us, it starts with our hearts. And so would you meet us where we are in our moment of need right now and do the work that only you can do in us so that you can do the work that only you can do through us. So as we respond now in song, we give you great praise and thanks in the name of Jesus and by the power of that spirit we pray, amen. Let's respond to the Lord in singing.